are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I think one of the sad things about life is the fact that it is only in the, in the field of human relationship and only in the field of the spiritual that we do not stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us using their knowledge, their mistakes. None of us wants to go back tonight to driving an old Model T Ford. Nobody's ever cranked a Model T Ford's ever been the same. And especially if it didn't crank good enough and the thing went in reverse on you. I mean, the crank went in reverse on you. Nobody wants to do that. We have used the advancement and the study and the research, the mistakes and failures and successes and achievements of the previous generations. We did not go back from the start and learn how to build a car in our generation. We have used everything that everybody else has learned both positive and negative. Same thing's true in <clears throat> appliances. Nobody wants to go back to the old ice box. Remember the old ice boxes? Well, you folks that are so young, you, you, you don't know a thing. But the old, where you, the ice man came by, a lot of you kids don't even know this ever happened. There used to be ice men that come by, like the bread man and the milk man. In fact, in those days, they didn't have a bread man or a milk man. Uh, there's a milk cow instead of a milk man, but we uh, we had an ice man, and and you'd, you had remember those cards you'd have have a 25, a 50, or a 100, or 75, and you'd have the one up that you wanted, how much ice you wanted, and the ice man would uh, would leave that much ice. <clears throat> if you were <clears throat> if you were poor like we were, you didn't have an ice box, you had a tub, and we wrapped the ice in a in a an old quilt. And uh, didn't mind wrapping the ice in the quilt, but it sure got cold at night. But <clears throat> but uh, uh, then we'd, uh, if you were really flush, you'd have an ice box, and and that up at the top of the place, it opened up, and you'd put the, bo- the the ice down in the top. Then have a little pipe going down from the bottom of the, from the bottom of the top, from the <laughs> from below where the ice was. And as the ice melted, the water would go down. You put kept a pan uh, underneath the. Uh, uh, the ice, pardon me, the ice box and the water to go down that pan, and then you'd uh, you'd wait till it got too full and run over, and then you'd take it and take it over <laughs> over to pour it out in the sink. No, we didn't have a sink. Take it to the uh, backyard and pour it out in the backyard. Well, all we had for a sink was a wash pan. You take it out in the backyard and spit it all over the house, but it went through the cracks in the floor, went right on down, and uh, so uh, it's really no serious problem. Now it's an amazing thing. We wouldn't want to do that. Uh, not at all. We have, built, we have been willing to stand on the shoulders of those who have advanced in appliances. None of us would want to go back to the old wood stove. We, we'd rather have our central heating units. None of us wants to go back to the old uh, pot-bellied wood stove uh, where you um, made a fire in the morning and it had a, it had a stove pipe that went up to the ceiling, a hole in the ceiling. Well, there's several holes in the ceiling, but one was there on purpose. And it was round, and the pipe went up 
through the hole. And you'd uh, now I'm talking about I'm talking about our kind of people. You kids, if you'd have lived 25 years ago, uh, our kind of folks did this, right? We, this is what we what we lived. And you get, you, you build a fire in the stove, and uh, you never get warm all over. You stand in front of the stove, and your front gets too hot, and your back's too cold. You turn around, your back gets too hot, and your front gets too cold. Nothing ever gets exactly right. It averages out right, but uh, add it all up, divide by two. But um, nobody wants to. You know why? Because we have our, our modern means of eating. We wouldn't want to go back there. The tragic thing, however, is the fact that we, in, in this matter of spiritual life and of morals and principles, we have never yet learned to live by the advice and counsel of those who have gone before. For example, nobody ever has gone in the world. Nobody ever has gone to the devil and on, the, on his deathbed said, Praise the devil, what a wonderful devil is he. Nobody ever has. My office is filled with people. Ninety percent of the people come to my office. I average 84 counseling sessions a week. Ninety percent of them, it's because they listen to the devil instead of the word of God, the man of God, and the word of God. That's all. And, uh, uh, but but uh, we don't take, I mean, the Marilyn Monroe's end up committing suicide. And the Hugh Cases end up committing suicide. And the uh, big shots, uh, unhappy and miserable. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor says she feels like that she's so unhappy. What she really would like to do is just die and get born again. Well, that's what she needs. That's the only problem. She'd get born again. That'd take care of the whole thing. I've been trying to preach that for years. I started to say to her, but she won't listen to me. But, uh, uh, but I mean, uh, we don't have enough sense. Happiest folks in this world are God's people. Now, you may call us fools and fanatics and nitwits and lame brains and nuts and bigots and all the rest of it, but explain our happiness. Explain it. I mean these fundamental, narrow-minded people where the girls wear skirts down the knees and the boys get haircut. Strange thing about it. They call us honkies and everything else, but, <clears throat> but we're happy. We're happy. I think I told you, didn't I? I'm not sure I did. But I was walking down the street, down, what's this street that goes down beside, um, is it Fayette that goes down beside Hammond Times? I was walking in front of Hammond Times the other day, and a lady met me, and she looked at me, and she recognized me. I, it's always to my, dis, my disfavor and, and disappointment when they do. And she went, <laughs> and I said, good morning, how are you this morning? I, I like everybody. Really, I do. I don't like everybody as much as I like others. But uh, I like everybody. So good morning. How are you? And she went. Psh. Well, I, I gathered she psh, twice, and I gathered she liked it. Psh. And so I decided to go around the block, meet her again, so she could psh, psh, again. And uh, I circled the block three times, so she could psh, 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 and uh, again. And uh, now, a strange thing. I, I'm I'm happy as a lark, and I'm the nut. I'm the fundamental bigot. I'm happy as a lark. The truth is, I know something about people, and I know something about the condition of this old sin-cursed world. The happy people are God's people. And the miserable, wretched crowd, hey, fella comes in my office and says, I need, I've got to have some money. My family is starving to death. I say, well, what's the matter? What would you do with yours? I gave it all to church. Nobody ever says that. Nobody. Ninety-nine percent of them have alcohol on their breath. 
You know what causes broken homes and broken hearts and broken dreams and broken lives and, uh, and, cr- and crumbled air castles? Sin. We haven't got enough sense to know it. Well, the fellow came, we talked about four people tonight, <clears throat> that said if I could preach. And these people would tell you and warn you about some pitfalls. I want you to listen carefully because it's worth hearing. I was preaching in a distant state, and a fellow walked up to me and said, as I mentioned a while ago, he said, uh, Dr. Hiles, could an unsaved man be called to preach? I feel that God wants me to preach. Now, he meant actually preach. But he said, I'm not saved. He went on to say, Do you, would you be willing to let an unsaved man preach in your pulpit? I said, well, of course not. Well, he said, if I could preach, and he went on to tell me a tragic story. He told me how that one time as a young man he went to church. And uh, he heard the, heard the preacher preach a sermon. And his heart began to move, began to, to, to tingle and, and burn a little bit. Some of you folks have already begun to, begun to do that tonight. I mean, there's a burning in your heart right now. You know. You, you, you know when a man of God's behind the pulpit, and some of you do, and you know, some of you, that, that God's about to speak to you, and a lot of you are scared to death right now. A fellow walked out to this service not long ago. I saw him later. I said, why did you have to leave? Were you sick? He said, nope. I said, I was beginning to get a conviction. knew what was coming. I didn't want to have to face it. And you know some of you right now are beginning to burn your heart. I mean, God's about to speak to you, and you know it. And this man said that God spoke to me in a gospel preaching service one day as a young man. My heart burned, and I wanted to be saved, and something told me I ought to get saved. But he said, I, I wouldn't do it. I cried. I knew this was the time for me. But I cried and said no. I went back to church again, said this man. This man now, he looks like he's 70. I don't think he's over 40. He looks like he's 70. He said, Dr. Hiles, I went again. I felt the same thing, but not as strongly. And I said no again. Again I went. I felt the same thing, but not quite as strongly. Again I said no. The same burning, but not not as much. And the same trembling, but not as much. And the same weeping, but not as much. And the same conviction, but not as much. And the same desire to be saved, but not as much. He said, I went again. And he said, one night I said, I'm a young man. I have my life before me. Too many things I want to do that are fun. I've got too many plans that I've made. Too many things I want to do. He said, I put it aside. I'll, I'll wait till I get older. Then he began to tremble. And he said, Dr. Hyams, that night was the last night I ever felt conviction. And here's what he said. If I could preach, I'd tell them to do it now. If I could preach, I'd tell people that if they feel one little twinge of conviction, if there's one little desire to be saved, he said, tell them, I'd tell them to do it now. Don't wait. You see, we have the strangest idea that we have a lot of time. But you don't know you have a lot of time. You don't know. You just don't know. One of our young ladies in our church, in her, in her, in her 20s, has had a sister 20 years of age. Last week she got pneumonia. Just suddenly got pneumonia. She never got well. Married three and a half months. Dead. Gone. Had her funeral this week. Sister to one. In fact, I think, did you enter to Christ? 
<coughs> somebody I think did on the staff had wanted to Christ. Uh, is that right, Joel? Brother Hand had wanted to Christ, and and twenty years of age, but uh, she's gone. You don't know how long you'll be here. You have no idea. But if you do live to the 70, have your three score and ten, or if you live to be a hundred, you don't know how long you're going to feel what you feel right now in your heart. The Bible speaks about three deadlines. One is the unpardonable sin. I'll not go into it in detail, simply to say this. When a person knows the Holy Spirit's working and attributes that work knowingly to the devil, he knows he's doing wrong, he knows the Spirit of God's working, and he says the devil did that, he commits a sin. The Bible says we'll never be forgiven him in this world or the world to come. But there's a second deadline. And there's the deadline I call the crossing of the deadline. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, My spirit will not always strive with man. And three times in Romans chapter 1 it says, God gave them up. One place it says, God gave them over. And God gave them up to reprobate minds. There comes a time in the life of an unconverted person when he says no to God for the last time. You felt that call at your heart. You felt that burning in your breast. You felt that desire to be a Christian. You know you're lost. You know you've got to face God. You know you're going to plunge out into eternity one day. And yet you turn it, the Lord down and turn him down and turn him down. The Bible says, one of these days, there is a line, I know not when, a place I know not where, that marks the destiny of man between heaven and despair. You're closer and closer, and hundreds of people come to that line. A little lady called me, I think I've mentioned this several times here. She, no, she came to see me. I preached one night in Garland, Texas, in a revival meeting in my own church on, on, on the unpardonable sin. When I finished preaching that sermon, lady lingered to see me, and she met me, and she said, Dr. Brother Hiles, she said, you're my favorite preacher. I said, thank you. I hear you every morning. She said, I said, I'm glad. I hear you at 6.05, KSKY. You're 6.05 to 6.30, old time, not old time religion broadcast. Anyway, I forget what it is. But anyway, I hear you every morning. She said, I set my clock radio every night when I go to bed, and you're the first voice I hear every morning. The first voice I hear is yours. Good morning. You're my favorite radio preacher. I wouldn't miss you for the world. I said, what church do you go to? And she said, all the churches. How long have you been saved? I'm not saved, she said. What? She said, I can't be saved. She said, one day, God withdrew His Spirit from me. Oh, she said, I used to go to church and feel the tender call of God, but don't feel it anymore. She said, there was a time when I went to church and the Lord said, you ought to be saved. And I said, I know it. And I began to cry and I trembled and I shook. And she said, I looked up at God and said, not now. I've got too much I want to do. I've got too much fun I want to have. Not now. Not now. And she said, Dr. Brother Hiles, that night, that night, the Spirit of God left me. And I've never, never felt the tug of the Spirit of God since that night. That's the crossing of the deadline. The closer every person who's unsaved is getting closer and closer and closer all the time to the deadline, you'll cross it. And after you cross that deadline, it doesn't matter. You, 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 you couldn't be saved if you wanted to. Holy Spirit won't save you. God won't forgive you. You're gone forever. You'll live like Cain wandering in the land of Nod, wanting maybe thinking about, oh, if I could just relive that one service, if I could just sit in that search one more time, if I could just hear that preacher, if I could just hear that choir singing all to Jesus, I surrender just one more time. And you'll wander, and you'll remember, and you'll wish you could relive it. But you're done! and damned and consigned to hell forever. Why? You thought you had enough time. You just have as much time between tonight and when you cross God's deadline. That's all the time you have. I went home after, oh, I guess 1.45 today. Telephone rang. I picked up the phone. 
little lady said, she, she was, had a trembling voice. She said, would you tell me how to be saved? That's the first thing she said. And I said, well, of course. And I, uh, I, I told her, I asked her why, why she won't be saved now. And she said, we flew from Nevada, I think she said Nevada, on a vacation and flew to Chicago area. I'd heard about your church. Someone told me to attend. She said, I was in the service this morning. And she said, God spoke to me. And she said, I knew I should be saved, but I didn't do it. And I, we're flying back to Nevada this afternoon. Our plane leaves at 4.30. And she said, Mister, I'm not going to get on an airplane till I get saved. She said, can you get saved over the telephone? And I said, yeah, you can get saved over the telephone. I told her how to be saved. We prayed the sinner's prayer. And she was sweetly saved on the telephone. She said she knew she'd go to heaven if she died. And what is she, what is she saying? I'm not going to get on that airplane until I get saved. And that's what you ought to say tonight. You say, well, how's I'm young. I'm only 15 or 16. Or I'm 25 or 30. I'm in the fruitful part of my life. I'm in the formative years. I've got to sow some wild oats and then get saved. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the attitude you have. You probably never will get saved. God's Spirit won't always strive with you. One of these days you'll cross that deadline. I know a man. I'm thinking about a man in this town now. I know, I know he's crossed the deadline. He's sat in this service, this auditorium, again and again and again. And yet there's no feeling anymore. I can recall when he used to weep and clutch the pew, but doesn't do that anymore. Let me say, hear the words of this man who told me a distant state just the other day. He said, if I could preach, I'd tell him, do it now. He said, Dr. Hiles, I can't preach, but you tell him. You tell him if they feel a tug at the heart, respond to it. Don't wait, don't wait. I crossed the line. Down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, there's a man who comes to hear me preach every time I go to Murfreesboro. I don't care when it is. I don't care how, how often I go. That man is always there. He has, he has a wrinkled look on his face, and his eyes are almost shut, and his eyes are usually red, and he looks older than he really is. And he comes and he says, Brother Dr. Hiles, I don't have any spirit. Oh, he says, I've got an eternal, never-dying soul in my breast. But he said, Dr. Hiles, I turned down God. I turned him down for the last time. And there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me, Dr. Hiles. He said, Oh, Dr. Hiles, if I could just feel again what I used to feel. If I could just feel what I used to feel. Tell him, he said. Tell him. When they feel it, act on it. Oh, in God's name tonight, if you feel desire, the least little tug at the heart, if there's a burning in your breast tonight, if you feel a need of Christ, if you feel that you ought to be saved, in God's name, act on it. Don't wait till you cross the deadline. There's another time. There's a time when the heart is too hardened for you to be saved. Um, I illustrate it like this. <clears throat> I was a paratrooper in World War II. As I've said before, I never made any jumps. I was pushed out 19 times. Uh, Jim Vineyard, I don't say much about it. Before Jim Vineyard came here, I used to talk about being a paratrooper a great deal. But uh, he made so many more jumps than I. We just don't discuss it anymore. I won't. He's not allowed to. And uh, so, uh, did you ever take judo when you were in the paratroopers, Jim? Uh, we had judo. Did you ever, did you ever use the sandbags to, for, the, for the, the hardening of, of the hand right here? And I can recall they used to, we used to get down on our knees in the paratroopers and they'd teach us judo and uh, jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, ju, ju, I, think it, I think it's Japanese jitsu instead of jiu-jitsu, but anyway. A louder about that. But anyway, they <coughs> go the sandbag, and, and we'd hit the sandbag. You know why? Because right here is the key part, you know, uh, when you make a chop and so forth. 
and they taught us how, honestly, they taught us how to take, in, in that stroke, we could kill a man just like that. I could tell you, and anybody that knows this could, how that you can just take one little stroke and hit a man, one certain vulnerable part on his body, and it's in the head, and one spot, and the man is gone. That's why folks don't tamper with me when I preach a great deal. I got deacons cut in half all up and down this alley out here. All these garbage cans have people been cut in half that didn't like my preaching. So unless you want to uh, have a split personality, don't you mess with me after the service tonight. But uh, but I can recall, <clears throat> and I, the first day we hit that sandbag, oh, my hand got so red. And, and boy, a lot of blisters began to swell up there. And we kept hitting, we kept hitting, and kept hitting, and kept hitting, and kept hitting, until finally it became just as callous as a man whose hand is as a carpenter as his, as his knuckles, and just as callous as a corn on your foot, and a um, bunion on your foot. And, uh, and uh, why? Because it got harder and harder. The first time the gospel comes and hits your heart, Oh, you ought to be saved, and you know you ought to be saved, and there's that conviction. And I've seen people in the, I saw a man last Sunday morning in this auditorium. He, he walked, started down the aisle, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He began to walk fast. He began to run. By the time he got three fuse in the front, the fuse in the front, he was falling on his face and crawling down the aisle. Don't you recall when that big old policeman, he's still in our church. How long has it been? It's been several years ago. The old policeman up on the front row up here in the balcony, uh, out in the Griffith Police Department, he all of a sudden he took his songbook in the invitation and he hurled it down on the front pew and he began to walk across here. By the time he came down these steps, he was hitting about one step out of four and just and he began, ran down those steps and he got to the step back there and he hurled himself around and ran down this aisle and fell on his face. Why? Because that first time the gospel hits you and the Holy Spirit conviction often is like a dynamite. It often is like a great shock or like a train crash or something. But the next time, it might not be that way. And the next time, a little bit more. The knock is hard at first. But the next time you hear it, it's still there. But it's not quite as loud as it was before. And the next time, it's still there. But it's not quite as loud. And the next time, it's there. But it's not quite as loud. You keep saying no to the gospel. When the dear Lord stands at the door of your heart and knocks on the door, the day will come and it will be so faint you can hardly hear it. And then finally, like a dove taking its flight into the blue, the silence is the biggest noise you've heard. And never again will that knock be heard at your door, the door of your heart. Never again will you feel that conviction. Never again. Oh, listen. I sometimes lie awake at night and think about it. I sometimes think about those people through these years who heard me preach and said, No, no, no. And they crossed the deadline. They live, but they don't live. They breathe, but they don't breathe. They walk, but they don't walk. They walk with men, but don't hope to walk with God. Eternity is sealed. If I could preach, he said, I'd say, Do it now. Do it now. When I was a kid, we used to we used to go go uh, swimming in the creek, and uh, much of us boys would go in the creek and go swimming. Anybody here ever anybody here ever get a uh, an inner tube uh, and in the creek, or get a tire and hang it out, hang it from a limb over a creek? Anybody here ever do that? God pity you youngsters. I feel sorry for folks that never have drowned in a creek, you know. And uh, but uh, we'd take that tire and 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 somebody in the in the in the creek. Would uh, would get the tire moving, and we'd we'd run out and grab the tire, jump to the tire and grab it, 
And the, 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 thing, the thing to do is grab it the first time it comes back. Because I've got some news. The second time it comes back, the, the jump is going to be a bit farther. And the longer you put it off, uh, time and time again, I, I've gone. And the next time, I, get your big feet out of the way. Next time. <laughs> and before you know it, it's too late. And we always had to jump. We had to jump, and usually that last time, the thing would be moving just about like that, and you jump. And you do a belly bust. Anybody do a belly bust? Huh? That is not uh, really a great dive. <laughs> and we do a belly bust. Now that the Holy Spirit comes and says, here's the gospel! It swings out the first time. It comes back. It won't come as far the second time, or the third, or the fourth. That's why I'm saying, listen, listen, you will never have another chance to be saved as good as the chance you have tonight. Never will. You say, well, I don't feel anything. Okay, you don't feel, maybe you don't feel anything, but you won't feel as much next time. Oh, she said, well, the house, it just hasn't hit me yet. Yeah, it hit you back on there, but you let it hit and hit and hit and hit. And you said, no and no and no. And before you know it, you've crossed the line. This man said, if I could preach, if I could preach, I hasten to the second one. For I must spend some time on this one. I told you a story the other, other day that I think is one of the saddest stories I ever heard. I saw a little lady down in Garland, Texas, where I was uh, preaching this week, and she said, Pastor Brother House, if I could preach. Oh, she said, if I could preach, I'd like to get up and tell the whole world something. I thought I'd tell you what she said, if I could preach. You folks who were out here the other time, I'll just take, bring you up to date on the story a little bit. <coughs> the um, We had a youth conference here recently, nationwide youth conference, up here on the front row in the balcony, said a little lady that I pastored for six, nine, six years and eight months. Twenty years ago, I became her pastor. Let's see. Twenty-one years ago. Twenty-one years ago, I became her pastor. Maybe twenty-two now. Maybe it's thirty-five. But anyway, uh, 20, twenty-one years ago, I became her pastor. And uh, she was a faithful member. Uh, I can recall I can recall when she had a little baby born in her home. I could, I could call her name. I went to Bitter Hospital and prayed for the baby. Prayed for God to bless the baby and help it to be something. And... Uh, I can recall when the baby was brought to our nursery for the first time. I can remember going into the nursery and looking at the baby. I can as I do here, I can recall going to the nursery again and again and saying, Oh, God, bless those little lives and help them to grow up and be something for Jesus. That lady, I could tell, she, she sat up here in the youth conference several weeks ago, I could tell something was wrong. She didn't have the smile she used to have. She didn't have the radiance she used to have. And uh, one day I got a note handed to me and said, Brother Hiles, I must see you before I leave to go back to Texas. I made an announcement to see her one night. She came to my office, and she told me one of the saddest stories. Her heart was broken. She said, Pat, Brother Hiles, she said, my daughter, I won't call her name. She said, my daughter, 15 years of age, came home one day from the South Garland High School in Garland, Texas. And she said, Mother, it's more than I can take. I can't live a Christian life at that high school anymore. She said, the temptations are too great. She said, Mother, would you send me to Bob Jones, Bob Jones Academy in Greenville, South Carolina? I want to go to a Christian school. And the mother and father talked about it. And they said, sweetheart, we just can't afford it now. We have so many debts, so many bills. We just can't afford it now. 
And the little girl said, but Mama, please. She said, I can't stay. I'll go into sin. I know it. She said, the temptations are too many. I just can't take it anymore. Mama, please send me. It's the only hope I've got. Please send me to Bob Jones Academy, to a Christian high school. And the mother and father said no. And the girl got on her knees before her mother and father and on her knees, she said, please, please, Mom and Dad, I can't take it. I'm not kidding. It's more than I can take. Please send me. By the way, in case we have some visitors at night tonight that are shocked because I'm saying this, brother, it's time somebody either exposed or cleaned up the public school system. <clears throat> and the only way you're going to do it is clean up the dirty, communist-inspired universities that are choking this country and sending it to hell. So how are you going to start that? Grab them by the hair of the head and take them down to the barbershop would be a good place to start. You don't like that? Well, you come to a place tonight, you don't get what you like. You don't get what you like here? I said, you don't get what you like. You said, amen. I just wanted to. You don't like it here? Just get out and get your job somewhere else. <coughs> you begin to like it better all the time, aren't you? Never have liked it so well, have you? The girl was refused by her parents. Now, moms and dads, let me say this, and I, 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 I'm going to say more about that. I'm, get, I'm getting you ready for it a little bit now. School's not like it was when you were in school. And so the girl graduated. And after she graduated, she wanted to go to the Texas, Texas Tech University, which is the most conservative of the universities in Texas, state universities. She went to Texas Tech University. The first day she was in school, a professor stood up <clears throat> and before the class and said, How many of you students, students believe the Bible? You believe that the miracles of the Bible are true? You believe the Bible is God's Word? This young lady and one other stood up. And that professor said, It's my goal to make it unanimous. I hope to ruin your faith in the Bible and the God of the Bible this semester. And that little mother looked at me, and she began to tremble, and she said, Brother Hiles, he did it. He did it. She said, My daughter's faith was ruined and wrecked. She joined the great crowd of people whose faith has been shipwrecked at the hands of godless professors. She went on a trip to Panama, the country of Panama. She came back home, and her mother and dad discovered a box of, nar of narcotics in her suitcase. They confronted her with this and she left home. They don't know where she is. And the mother said the other night, she leaned on my shoulder, forgive me, but she did. She leaned on my shoulder, her husband right beside her. And she said, Brother Hiles, if I could preach, if I could preach, I'd tell every Christian in the whole world that has a, has a child in school, get your child in a Christian school. If I could preach, if I could preach, if I could preach, and if you knew what I know tonight, you'd feel the same way about it. <coughs> There's, I don't mean to embarrass anybody. I don't think I will. <laughs> but I'm going to say this because I want to help others. There's a young lady in, in our church. When we started Hammond Baptist High School, our kids wanted her to go, and I wanted her to go. But she was popular, 
and she didn't want to go. And, uh, and it was, she was not forced to go. And they said, uh, the, uh, some of the folks felt like, well, she can be, turn out to be a good girl, and she'll still be the same old girl. Yeah, she didn't go to Hammond Baptist High School, and she went to a university that's not a Christian university. She's there now. She sat in this auditorium two weeks ago tonight, and here's what she said. She said, Brother Hiles is brainwashing those people. The biggest brainwashing job done in this world is done by the people that accuse me of brainwashing. Brainwashing means, check your dictionary, brainwashing means to change a belief by propaganda. To change a belief by propaganda. In case you want to know it, my brother or sister, America was built on this book. That's why this country was founded. And the propagandist is not a fundamental preacher who believes this book and believes in decency and believes in honor and believes in integrity and believes in America and believes the flag and loves the nation. He's not the propagandist or the brainwasher. The brainwasher is that crowd of communist people that have infiltrated our universities with a humanist philosophy that shakes the faith of our young people in this book. And if you don't believe they're brainwashed, you listen to what they say, brother. They all have the same little story. Same little song and dance. I just believe in freedom of thought. I don't believe that anybody has a corner on the truth. Everybody's searching for truth. I believe Mohammedan is just as sincere and has just as much a corner on the truth as the Christian, and the Koran is just as much the Word of God as the Bible. I hear it till I'm sick of it. Let me tell you, parents, that young lady, that young lady was trusted. To go to public schools and go to the secular universities and turn out right. And now she comes to the church where she grew up. And she says, the pastor's brainwashing. You heathen infidels. You, you humanists who talk about me brainwashing. Our boys and girls go to public schools day after day. And people stand up and brainwash them about indecency and the new morality. And, uh, and the sex education, all the rest of it. We have not changed belief by propaganda. Brother, this country was built on what we believe. Years ago, practically everybody in this country believed what we preach at this church tonight. Believed in decency and principles and morality and honor, integrity and character and Americanism and patriotism and separation, the inspiration of rivals, the deity of Christ, the new birth, old-time religion. This country was built on that. A bunch of people hiding behind us, brainwashing them. Taking our, listen, you talk about the brainwashing, you listen to what some of these little two-bit science professors, I use the word science loosely, professors, you listen to the brainwashing job they do on our kids about the so-called theory of evolution. There's your brainwashing. I'm simply saying, look, who's changing whom? Was the day when practically every politician we had in Washington, D.C. believed every word in this book. <coughs> Young boy came to my office Friday night. One of our finest kids. I sat in my office and begged his dad to send that boy to our school. Take him. 
I, I even offended his dad. I got practically on my knees, to, and, I, and the boy was begging to go to Hammond Baptist High School, begging to go. He was wrapped up in the drama department at his school. Some plays that use filthy, vulgar words. And brother, listen, I don't care if the whole town of Hammond and the whole area hates me. It's as sorry as the hell from whence it came when they make our boys and girls and uh, have plays and drama and use curse words. Listen, if you're going to be educated, act educated. If you're going to have a cultural center, have culture and refinement and scholarship. Don't use garbage from the devil's cesspool. To, 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 to uh, express your feelings in God's dear name, learn to use proper, proper grammar and proper English. But anyway, I begged him. He said, no. He made his boy participate in that play. Made him. I could tell you stories that would make you weep about that poor boy begging to go to Hammond Baptist High School. He came to my office last week and looked at me and I wept until I had no tears left after he left. And he said, Pastor, I no longer believe this Bible is the Word of God. Now what are you going to do, Dad? Now what are you going to do? Now you've got an atheist on your hand. Now you've got a boy that doesn't believe the Bible. Why? Because you'd rather your boy go to a so-called accredited school. And by the way, there's no such thing as an accredited school. Dr. Evans has written a tremendous article on accreditation. I hope, you, I hope you'll get a copy and read it. There's no such thing as an accredited school. Accreditation is simply a committee here and there. And there are committees like this all over the country that approve a certain school. But, I mean, I could say, fellas, uh, let's form an accreditation you're okay, committee. Would you fellows vote to credit Hammond Baptist High School? Would you? Okay, we're accredited. And just as much as Hammond High School is. But he said, I want my boy to, to, to be in the plays, in the drama. Okay, you want it. You've got what you asked for. Wake up, some of you parents. I beg you in God's name. The country's going to hell. You're going to let your kids go to hell with it. This little lady put her head on my shoulder and said, if I could preach, I'd tell them to make them go. Make them go. We've got a dozen kids in this room right now that are just that far from being completely ruined and wrecked. Brother, listen to me. The day has come when you're either going to be a good Christian or you're going to be a pretty wicked person. The middle group in America, the old American who was, who was not a Christian but had some principles is about to pass off the scene. The dirty playboy philosophy, the humanism, the communist infiltration of our college campuses and pulpits, the communist infiltrated National Council of Churches, which is nothing more than a resting place and a nest in the world's tree of all the buzzards of communism that you can find anywhere in the whole world. Oh! Reaching out and... Sh listen, do you know in Boys on the Front, listen to me. Hey, fellas, listen to me. By the way, the kind of brainwashing I did just then, some of you folks that call me a brainwasher need... Somebody ought to brainwash you to be decent. 
Somebody ought to brainwash you to be morally clean. Somebody ought to brainwash you to manners. Somebody ought to brainwash our young people to obedience. There's a third one. And this one happened ten years ago. But I was reminded of it this week. I was over in the old auditorium ten years ago. Finished preaching a sermon one Sunday morning. The lady walked up to me. She was had on a maternity dress. Dr. Rice called them hatching jackets. <coughs> she had on a maternity dress. Or as you ladies call them, an eternity dress. She came up and she said, uh, Pastor, could I talk to you? And I said, yes. And we went over to the side. And she said, the baby that I carry in my body is belongs to a man that's not my husband. This little lady was not a woman of the street. She was a woman who just made a mistake. And she said, I can't afford to rear it. I met with her once a week, tried to help her and encourage her. I had some friends in another state who, who uh, well, in Texas, who wanted, who didn't have any children. I didn't know anybody here much then that wanted children. I called them on the phone. They said they'd take the child. I went to the lady, talked to, she came to my office, or, or I'd go by and see her just for a moment every week for several months. The day came when I saw that little baby take, come out of St. Catherine's Hospital in a wheelchair. And a lady she had never seen before walked up and she took a little baby she had just given birth, whom she had just given birth, and placed it in the lap of this, of this lady she had never seen. And I saw her grit her teeth, tears rolled down her cheeks. I've seen it before. Some folks in this room have done the same thing. She got in a taxi cab, wandered off. I haven't seen her since that day. I'm sure she wonders what her baby looks like. I saw him last week, one of the cutest ten-year-old boys you ever saw in your life. He's been saved. I think God's called him to be a preacher. But that little lady said to me in my office just before she was ready to deliver the baby, she said, if I could preach, if I could preach, young people listen to this, and parents, you listen to this. She said, I'll tell you what I'd do if I could preach. She said, I'd tell all the young people in First Baptist Church to do everything Brother Hiles says to do. If I could preach. If I could preach. She said, if I could preach, I'd stand up and say, He's right, kids! He's right! This necking and petting on these lonely roads. He's right! He's right, kids! Listen to him! Do what he says! If I could preach, that's what I'd tell them. I'm not God. And I realize that I throw myself open to a world of criticism when I preach like this. But I say it I'm, because I'm trying to save the kids. And I'm, I'm willing to be a nut. I'm willing for you to call me a dictator and say that I think I'm God and call me cocky. Go ahead. I'm willing to have you say it for the sake of our kids. I've been in this business 28 years. I know something about rearing children. I know something about them turning out right. If you will follow the principles laid out behind this pulpit. And young people, if you will do what is preached from this pulpit. And parents, if you will instill in your children 
to obey, and I can show you in the Scripture where you're supposed to obey the preacher on matters of spiritual leadership. I can show you in the Bible. If you will do it, you will have a, a, a 99% better chance for your kids to turn out right. She said, I'd tell them to obey the preacher. Do what he says. If I could preach, that's what I'd do. I can tell you more about that, but there's a fourth one. I was in a distant city recently preaching. I was called to the hospital. They said a young man is dying. He wants to see Dr. Hiles. He's heard about him. Heard about you. Wants to see you and meet you and shake your hand. I went to a hospital uh, down a corridor, room on the right, first bed. As I entered in the room, there was a man, young man there. His jaws were sunken. He had a. He was not one of our people. This in a distant state. His jaws were sunken. He looked out through eyes of death, and you could almost hear the death angel as he was flapping his wings to take this young man's life. Young man in his early twenties. When I walked in, his face brightened and he smiled as much as he could. His eyes brightened, and he said, "You're Dr. Jack Hiles, aren't you?" And I said, "I'm Brother Hiles." He said, "I've always wanted to meet you." He said, "He told me a story." He said, "I'm saved." He said, Dr. Hiles, I trusted Jesus, but I had so many things I wanted to do. I, I thought my dad and mom were old-fashioned. I thought the preacher was sort of a screwball and narrow-minded and a bigot. I wouldn't listen to what he said. I thought I had a whole life to live. I was going to repent one of these days. I was going to get right with God and live for him one of these days. I just had some things I wanted to do, that's all. But he said, Dr. Hiles, I didn't know, but one day I, I got a little fever. And I began to lose my appetite, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor couldn't find the trouble. And I began to lose weight and more weight, and I couldn't eat, and what I did eat, I threw it back up. And he said, finally, Dr. Hiles, I was in the doctor's office after taking test after test, and the doctor said, have a seat. And he said to me, you have cancer. He said, my whole world was pulled out from under me. He said, Dr. Hiles, I thought I had a long time to live. He said, I wish I could live just long enough to preach. If I could preach, I'd tell him, don't waste a day. Don't waste a day if I could preach. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God would last. If I could preach, I'd tell him, do it now. Don't wait. You may cross the deadline. If I could preach, I'd tell him, send your child to a Christian school. Get him in a Christian school. If I could preach, I'd tell them, don't waste a day. Don't waste a day. If I could preach, I'd tell them, do what the preacher says. I don't know what it's going to take. I told a man this week, and I love him like I love my own self. He, I'm sure he's here tonight. I haven't seen him, but I'm sure he's here tonight. And brother, I'm not being unkind. I love you. You know I do. But I've begged you, and I've begged you, and I've pleaded, and I've pleaded. I've gotten on my knees, I've pleaded, and I've begged, and I've cried, and I've beat the pulpit, and I've stomped. I don't know what it's going to take to get some of you parents to stop and realize the devil's after your kid. I don't know what it's going to take. I wish you could stand in my office. I wish you could have gone home with me Friday night. I wish you could have seen a family walk out of my office 
and the young girl who had run off from home been gone for a week. Absolutely stand there and say she would not obey her parents. One of our girls grew up in our Sunday school. Just just in the early years of high school, already has been so indoctrinated by this independent, free-thinking, inclusivism that's destroying America. She's already taking off the shackles of obedience to her parents. You send your kid to First Baptist Church Hammond and send your kid to our schools, and one or two things will happen. We'll kick them out, or they'll start obeying their moms and dads. I wish you could see them leave and turn your face to the wall. Say, oh God, what can I do? I begged the parents to do something about it. On my knees, I begged them to do something about it. It looks like she's gone. It looks like she's gone. It wasn't long until another came in. She too had run off from home. Morning after the service, another had run off from home. They won't listen. And then after you had two like that, then have one of the boys you've loved like you've loved your own life. Spend hours with him. I recall one night he walked in the snow several miles to my house. I got home in a blizzard. I mean to tell you, a person shouldn't walk a block in the blizzard. I walked. I came home in a blizzard, and he had walked miles, I'm sure five miles, in a blizzard to my house just to be with me to get a little strength from his preacher to stand in the battle. I drove him home in my car, and it took us, I guess, 30 minutes to drive that five miles. I told him how proud of him I was, and I prayed with him. And he came to me and said, Brother Hiles, pray for me. I'm afraid I can't make it any longer. You work with them, and you pray, and you hope, and you dream. And then you hear them say they don't even believe the Bible is the Word of God. Moms and dads, what am I going to have to do? Why don't you trust me like you trust the doctor? Why don't you have as much confidence in me to rear your children spiritually and tell you what to do spiritually? As, as you do your doctor, you go to the doctor, he gives you a prescription, you take it. You go to church, I give you a prescription, you mock at it. What am I going to do? I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. I'm reproaching this. There are people right here tonight in this room hate me right now. They'll go out in this place and spread dirty, dirty things about me and say I'm a bigot and I'm a brainwasher and they'll meet me on the street and people will hate me and the boys and girls will throw beer cans in my yard and throw bricks at my car. And spit on me on the sidewalk has happened several times. They'll do it. You know why they'll do it? Because I've been willing to stand up and be a reproach and an idiot and a fool and be hated. And I do it not because I love it. I don't love it at all. If I had my way, I'd have everybody love me. And I could. I know enough about psychology. I could make folks like me a little bit. But I'm trying to do something to save your kids. In God's name, help me. Parents, when the kids go soul winning, 10 hours some Saturday, 
Find out how they did. Rejoice with them. Don't say, I wonder how many of those were sincere. Rejoice with them. Good night. You say, well, they're gone all day Saturday. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of parents whose kids are gone all day Saturday when give everything they own, including their eyes, if they'd go soul winning all day Saturday. There are parents in this room tonight who live a broken-hearted existence, who cry themselves to sleep almost every night, would give all they own if their boy would go so winning one day. I beg you. I beg you. Let me help your kids. And kids, I chandra somewhere tonight. There's a young man. He has all the potential in the world. But he's not using it. I've prayed for you till my eyes are hurting. Some of our girls last Thursday night came to the club, uh, Proverbs 31 club over here. <clears throat> Parents didn't know about it. They ditched the club and went out. Three or four of our girls. Girls, you're on the wrong road. There are five or six of you on the wrong road as sure as I'm standing behind this pulpit. I plead with you, shake yourself and listen to the preacher. You'll not be sorry you did. You'll not be sorry you did. Some of you young men have all the potential in the whole world. Why don't you serve the Lord? Why don't you come to the place where you quit piddling and living in unpredictability and start serving God? I know a little bit. I'm 46 years of age, almost 47. I've been preaching 28 years. Nobody's ever, nobody in this country has pastored more teenagers than I have. Nobody's turned out more preacher boys. I know something about kids. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.